job. <laughs> well, Merry Christmas, everybody. Man, it's so good to be with you. Those of you who are in the room, so good to be with you. Uh, if you're joining us online, thanks for letting us be with you tonight, wherever you are. My name is Ronnie Rothy. I'm the lead pastor of Relevant Community Church. Uh, when you walked in, you should have got a bulletin. And in that bulletin was information about what next step you could take if you'd like us to help you stay informed about uh, opportunities for you or your family. And also uh, information about how you can give today if you'd like to financially give. If you're joining us online, that information's on the screen right now. Now, here's what I know about you because I know it about myself. You have an ideal picture in your mind of what Christmas is supposed to be like. You know, frolicking through the snow, going on a sleigh ride, roasting chestnuts up on, on an open fire with some hot chocolate and sugar plums, whatever the heck sugar plums are. You know, snuggling by the fireplace, watching your favorite Christmas movie, a home full of grateful people who are filled with joy and laughter. Uh, my, my favorite Christmas movie is called The Christmas Story, and those, most of you have seen it. I've been watching it every year for the 43 years of my life. I love that movie. And right at the end of that movie uh, is the closing scene is the, the kids have gone to bed, and the mom and dad are in a, a room that are in the living room that's just lit by the Christmas tree, and they're snuggling on, the, on a chair together, looking out the window, and snow is falling, and you know, the song Silent Nights in the background, and I look at that image every time, and I think, that's an ideal picture of Christmas. Like, I think of it like, hey, all is right in the world when I see that closing scene to the Christmas movie, uh, the Christmas story. But unfortunately, for many of us, our picture of what's ideal doesn't come close to matching up with what's real. See, what's real this Christmas may be a ton of family tension. For you, what's real this Christmas may be being alone. It may be you're not able to give gifts because of financial struggle. It, it, it may be another Christmas without being pregnant. It may not be able to see both of your parents because of their recent divorce. See, what's ideal for me is my whole family being together on Christmas, but that's not what's real for me. What's real for me is this is the first Christmas without my mom because she passed away a couple months ago. What's real is I miss her and I'm not going to be able to hug her and spend time with her this Christmas. What's real is that my family is experiencing a lot of grief this Christmas. And maybe for you, the only thing this Christmas is reminding you of is the extraordinary gap between what's real and what's ideal. And because of that gap, instead of experiencing all the things that we sing about on Christmas, joy and hope and peace, this Christmas you're filled with anxiety depression, unrest, loneliness, despair, bitterness, and grief. So here's what we're going to do tonight. We're not going to ignore what's real, but instead we're going we're gonna to help to create an ideal Christmas experience just for the next few minutes together. And my hope is that as we do, you're reminded what Christmas should remind us of in the midst of the gap between what's real and what's ideal. So come on inside. Christmas can easily remind us of the extraordinary gap between what's ideal and what's real. We, we all have ideal pictures in our mind of what life is supposed to be life, like. A, health, a happy and healthy marriage. Amazing job that you find joy and purpose in. Close relationships with your kids. Close relationships with, with your parent. Fulf, 
fulfilled dreams, financial security, having amazing friends, parents, your parents being in love, being physically healthy, a car that you want, a house that you want. But then so often there's a huge gap between what's ideal and what's actually real. And what's real is maybe your marriage is falling apart or your parents are getting a divorce. Your kids are rebelling. You're, you're grieving the loss of a loved one. Cancer's filling your body. Your car breaks down every single week. You're stuck in a dead-end job. You're swimming in debt. You, you can't get pregnant. Your friends are gossiping about you. You're, you're still single, which real is failed dreams and missed opportunities. And this gap has filled some of you with anxiety, depression, hopelessness, unrest, loneliness, despair, bitterness, grief, worry, fear. For others, it's caused you to turn away from God, blame God, question God, and say, God, how could you allow this? Do you even care? Do you even notice me? God, are you watching? Do I matter to you? Are you even there? God, where are you? And for some, the, the, the gap between what's ideal and what's real has left you with no other choice but to give up on God, on faith, on church. And if that's you, I don't think it's a coincidence that you're here today. I believe in a God who loves you so much that he used whatever means necessary to get you here because he wanted you to hear this message this Christmas. And what I say next is going to sound really weird to some of you and like I'm totally off my rocker, completely disconnected from reality, but I believe this to be true. I think the gap between what's ideal and what's real and the tension we feel because of it is actually a gift from God. And I believe it's a gift because it's one of the few things that illuminates our longing for what Christmas should remind us of. And here's what you need to know. This is so important. What you long for most is not your picture of what's ideal. What you long for most is much deeper, much richer, much better, much more personal than that. What you long for most is what your heavenly father sent Jesus to come into the world and give you. What you long for most was announced on the first Christmas 2,000 years ago. One of the two accounts of Jesus' birth in scripture is recorded in the New Testament book of Matthew. And Matthew, the book of Matthew is actually written by a man named Matthew who was one of Jesus' disciples. And Matthew was writing to a, to a first century Jewish audience, giving them firsthand eyewitness account of what he personally heard Jesus say and saw Jesus do. I'm going to look real quickly at three verses in Matthew chapter 1 today. But before we do, you need to know that none of the events that around Jesus' birth were ideal. I mean, what was ideal was for Mary and Joseph to be home and for, for Mary to deliver her baby. What was real was that they had to make a super long road trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem when Mary was nine months pregnant. What was ideal was, was that they would be able to find a comfortable, clean, warm place for Mary to give birth after she went into labor. What was real was that they couldn't, so, that, so Jesus was born in a filthy barn to an audience of farm animals. But the gap between what was ideal and what was real was felt more than just by Mary and Joseph. See, as part of God's redemptive plan for humanity, thousands of years before the events of Jesus' life, God declared to the Hebrew people who became known as the Israelites, who became known as the Jews, he declared to the Hebrew people that, that, uh, to, that they were his chosen people. And as his chosen people, God promised he would send the Messiah, the Savior, the Anointed One, the Son of God, through them 
and to them. What was ideal was God sending the Messiah immediately after promising that he would. What was real was that they waited and waited and waited hundreds of years with no sign of God doing anything. And as they waited, things got worse and worse and worse. And by the time we get to the first century, they are under the rule and the impression of the Roman Empire. What was ideal for first century Jews was that the promised Messiah would have already arrived, overthrew the Roman Empire, and established them as the political and military power in the known world. What was real is that they had no power, they had no rights, and they had very little hope left. And in the gap between what was ideal and what was real, they begin to ask the same questions we do. God, you said you loved us. How could you allow this? Like, do you even care? Are you watching? Are you even real? Where are you? And it was in that tension that Matthew wrote this. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah the anointed one, the son of God, the savior of the world that we've been waiting so many years for, came about. Matthew goes on to record that out of seemingly nowhere, God sent an angel to a devout Jewish teenager named Joseph to tell him that his virgin fiance named Mary was pregnant, which by what can only be described by a supernatural act of God, and that she was going to give birth to a son. And then the angel told Joseph who this unborn child is, who this unborn child will be, and what this unborn child will do. And this is so vitally important. Joseph immediately knew that if, the, if what the angel said to him next was true, that Mary, his fiance, was pregnant with the Messiah, that he and every Jew had been waiting hundreds of years for. Angel said, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. See, Jesus is actually the Greek name for the Hebrew name Yeshua. And the name Yeshua means God saves. Jesus' name defines what he came to do, to save. Now, once again, for, for first century Jews, their ideal picture of what the promised Messiah would save them from was the very real political and military oppression that they were under. But God didn't send Jesus to save them from that. And he didn't send Jesus to save us from all of our real trials, all of our real hardships, all of our real frustrations and circumstances and situations either. That's not the message of Scripture. That's not the, the, the message of Christmas. That's not the good news of Jesus. The good news is that he sent Jesus to save them, to save me, to save you, to save us from something much bigger uglier and more destructive than that. He sent Jesus to save us from what truly oppresses and what we need saved from most, which is the penalty of our sin. Jesus himself said the entire reason he came was to seek and to save those who are lost, those who have a broken relationship with Holy Creator God because of their violation of sin against him. And that's you and you and you and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and me, and every single person. 
Jesus was clear that our Heavenly Father sent him on a mission to forgive us for our violation of sin against him and to restore and redeem and reconcile our broken relationship with him in this life and in the next. That's what Jesus gave his life on the cross for, and that's what Jesus rose from the grave to prove that only he can do. See, Christmas is a reminder that God came to save us from the penalty of our sin. But it's more personal than that. Jesus came to save you. And he wants to save you. And he can save you from the penalty of your sin because of his perfect life, sacrificial death, and miraculous resurrection. And as good as that news is, it gets even better. See, Jesus didn't come for just what he will do someday, but for what he can and wants to do today. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And then Matthew quotes a prophecy, an Israelite prophet named Isaiah proclaimed hundreds of years prior to this that every Jew knew. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him. Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew is proclaiming that this prophecy would be fulfilled when Jesus was born into the world. Matthew is proclaiming that Jesus was sent to be God with them. God with us. God with me. God with you. Christmas is a reminder that God came to save us, but it's even better than that. Christmas is a reminder that God came to be with us. And here's the big idea I hope you remember from today. Christmas is a reminder that God came to be with us, wants to be with us, and can be with us. The gap between what's real and what's ideal can cause us to turn away from God can cause us to blame God, can cause us to question God. And God knows that. And here's what's crazy. He still allows it. And I think the main reason he does is because he loves us. He loves you. And he knows the tension we feel in the gap is one of the few things that illuminates our mind, illuminates our longing for what Christmas should remind us of. That God came to be with us, wants to be with us, and can be with us. And listen, here's the reality. What you, what I long for most are not our pictures of what's ideal. What we long for most are the things that we sing about every Christmas. True joy. True hope. True peace. And Jesus says that's why he's come. He said he came to give us life to the full, joy to the full, peace to the full, hope to the full. He came to be God with us in the gap and give us something so much better in the gap. He came to give us himself. See, true life, true joy, true peace, true hope, true comfort, it's not a feeling. True life can't be produced by attaining what's ideal. True life is a person. True life is Jesus. When Jesus came into the world, true life was born into the world. And he can and he wants to be with you in the gap to produce in you what can only be produced when God is with you. Life to the full. 
whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not, what our hearts actually long for in the gap is God himself. And that's what your heavenly father wants you to be reminded of today. See, Christmas, it's a reminder that God came to be with you. He wants to be with you And he can be with you. Jesus came to be God with you. And all the good and all the bads and all the highs and all the lows and all the joy and all the pain and all the laughter and all the loss. Jesus never promised a life free from every real pain. He never promised a life free from very real trouble, suffering, hardship, loss, death, and trials. As a matter of fact, he promised that everyone, regardless of what you believe about him, will experience those things, but that he came to be with you and wants to be with you and can be with you, with you to fill you with his joy, his peace, his hope, his life, true life in the midst of all of that. Jesus came to be Emmanuel. God with us, with you. He came to be God with you when your marriage is falling apart. He came to be God with you when your parents are going through divorce. He came to be God with you when cancer is filling your body. He came to be God in you when you don't feel good enough. He came to be God with you when you can't get pregnant. He came to be God with you when you're spiraling downward financially. He came to be God with you to give you true life, true hope, true peace, and true joy in the midst of those things, not necessarily to save you from all those things. You may go, well, that's, if that's true, then why am I not experiencing that? Well, to experience God with us involves much more than just believing that this is true. According to Jesus and according to the rise of the New Testament, we must invite Jesus into our lives. We must invite Emmanuel to be with us. So have you? Are you? I want to close today by asking you two questions to help assess if you have and if you are. First question is, have you invited Jesus into your life by putting your faith in him? See, we invite Jesus into our lives by entering into a saving relationship with him through faith in him. So if you put your faith in Jesus, have you asked Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins, and the leader of your life? If you haven't, in just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. And there's absolutely zero pressure to do that today, but you need to know, this is so important, if you don't do that, if you don't invite him in, in this way, you'll keep viewing God from a distance and never experience Emmanuel, never experience God with us, with you. It's only through faith in Jesus It's only by asking Jesus to be the forgiver of our sins and leader of our life that we can begin to experience God with us today. And you may be going, well, I've done that. Like I did that when I was a kid, or I prayed that prayer, and I grew up in church, and I even actually show up on Sunday sometime, but I'm still not experiencing Emmanuel with me today. I'm still not, I wouldn't, I'm not experiencing life to the full. I'm not experiencing that joy and hope and peace you're talking about, but I've done that. So here's my second question for you, if that's you. Are you inviting Jesus to be with you every day by staying connected to him every day? According to Jesus, inviting him in is not a one-time event, but a lifestyle. It's not a past decision, 
but a present choice. I know, like one thing about Christmas that we all love are Christmas lights. And we love looking at them. I mean, can you imagine a tree without Christmas lights on them? It'd be no good. Well, how do these lights that are so beautiful stay lit? The only way these lights, any of these lights stay lit is because it's connected to the light strand. If I disconnect this light from the light strand, it's not full of light anymore. It's no good. The only way that, the, that this light bulb gets light and, be, and the beauty that comes from it is when it's connected to the strand. In the same way, Jesus is, say, is saying, you've got to invite me to be with you every day by staying connected to me every day. If you disconnect yourself from me, you can't be full of my life. You can't be full of my joy. You can't be full of my peace. You can't be full of my hope. You, in order to experience God with us, with you, you've got to stay connected to me, Jesus would say. We stay connected to Jesus by following him as the leader of our lives every single day, one next step at a time. So what next step is Jesus inviting you to take to follow him? And I bet you don't even got to think that hard about it. I bet you already know. It's probably something that you felt a stirring with, a prompting with, and maybe ignored. It could be something morally, sexually, financially, relationally. It could be something in your marriage. It could be something as easy as just starting to show up on Sundays. Whatever next step Jesus is inviting you to take, stay connected to him by taking it. Staying connected to Jesus every day is how we begin to experience the life, the hope, the peace, the joy that only Emmanuel can give today. We're going to close by singing two familiar Christmas songs together in a candlelit room. All Holy Night and Silent Night. You, you should have got a candle when you walked in. Go ahead and grab it. In just a moment, ushers are going to come by each of the aisles and they're going to light the candles of the person on the end of the rows. As soon as your candle is lit, please light the person's next to you. But as we sing the familiar words of these songs, let them be a reminder that God came to be with you, wants to be with you, and can be with you. Before we sing together, let's one more time be reminded of that holy, silent night when Jesus, when joy, when peace, when hope was born into the world. Would you stand with me? In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth to Bethlehem. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. They gave him the name Jesus, which means God saves, because he will save people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
Dear Heavenly Father, I just, we praise you today as we remember that you came, you sent your son to be with us. Jesus, I pray we stay connected to you in the midst of the gap, in the midst of the good and in the midst of the bad. Jesus, if there's anyone either in this room or online who's watching today who's never put their faith in you and they felt a prompting to do that, when I talked about a little bit ago, I pray that right now where they're at, silently they choose to do that. That right now, they confess their need for a Savior because of their violation of sin against you, holy God. And they declare their trust that Jesus, you are the Savior, the only Savior. And you prove that, that you can save through your death and your resurrection. And right now, Jesus, they ask you to be their Savior, the forgiver of their sins. And they ask you to be their Lord, the leader of their lives. And now we lift our voices to you, Emmanuel, God with us.